It's a joy to be with you folks this morning and just to share from God's Word once again. It's important for you to know that our pastor is at the IFCA convention. He is there ahead of time for their IFCA board meeting. And this morning in the uh, hotel where they're meeting, they've set themselves aside a room and they're having their worship service this morning. And pastor is presenting the Word to them. So we're thankful to the Lord for that. And by the way, the title of our message this morning is The More Excellent Way. I don't want you to think that that's because I'm here preaching today. (laughs) Not at all. But as we come to this portion of God's Word, as our brother read it this morning, it's important for us to understand that God does have a more excellent way in which we use the gifts that he has given to us. It was just about a year ago today that I spoke on a Sunday morning, probably the same circumstances with our pastor at the IFCA convention, but I spoke on the subject of spiritual gifts. And uh, I was planning to follow that up with the message I have for you this morning. I was going to do that Sunday evening. But uh, we had... uh, a group that had gone up to Alaska, and they came and they shared their experiences and showed pictures, and so I didn't have the opportunity to present the word that night. So I'm going to do it today. If you can remember a year ago, what we spoke about, but it's important for us to understand that God has given each and every one of us gifts that we can use for his glory. We call them spiritual gifts. And the whole of the uh, 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians is given to that truth. And we are told that we are to use our gifts, not for our own uh, sake, not to build ourselves up, but to edify or build up the church of God. And so uh, it's important, we're going to be moving into chapter 13, but we want to begin in verse 27 of chapter 12, understanding that this whole section, chapters 12, 13, and 14, are one unit. Of course, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he didn't stop and say chapter 13. That was all put together as one treatise. And so this theme is given to us and to the Corinthian believers because they had great need of understanding this. You see, that church, as we have pointed out before, was a carnal church. It was a church that was self-centered. The people thought that the spiritual gifts were so that they could show off and be uh, held up to be somebody very important and failed to realize that the gifts were given for the benefit of all. And so, dear friends, as we come to verse 27, I want us to notice here what it says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I want you to understand as we begin that you and I who love the Lord are part of the body of Christ. Do you understand what that means? We have been placed in a wonderful position, united with Christ in his death, burial, and his resurrection so that we have wonderful prospects for today and for eternity. Child of God, joined together with him in an inseparable union. Before we get into this, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning that we are the church, the body of the living God, the Lord Jesus. We pray your blessing upon these truths as we consider them this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us the truths of your word as their spirit leads in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the instruction which Paul gives in the matter of spiritual gifts continues on into chapter 13 and tells us of the order of the usage of the spiritual gifts in the church and sets the pattern for properly understanding and exercising spiritual gifts. And of course, what is that? It's the more excellent way that he speaks of here. Now notice here he says, and in verse 28, <clears throat> that the gifts are given in an interesting order which kind of uh, comes from higher to lower. And it's very important that we notice that. It says that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, we see a descending order here. And I believe that that is set uh, by God on purpose. Sometimes the Corinthian believers were taking the lesser gifts and holding, holding them up to the highest place. And this was the problem that uh, was confronted here. And so we notice, he says, are all apostles? And the answer, of course, is no. Let me just point out to you that we do not have apostles today. The apostles were chosen by the Lord Jesus himself, weren't they? And they were to serve as those missionaries who would go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when they did so, they were to establish local churches. The apostles, which word simply means sent ones, they were sent by the Lord Jesus especially. Given special and unique authority and power, they performed miracles like the Lord Jesus did. They did a lot of things that we don't uh, do today. And so it's important for us to understand that there were just those men specially chosen of God for that time and that place, which were apostles. The last apostle, of course, was the writer of this book, the Apostle Paul. And his ministry was unique. You see, the first 12 disciples or apostles were Jews, and they were, uh, their ministry was to the Jews. It started out with the Lord sending them out to give a message to the Jewish people. And it was the same message that he gave and same message that John the Baptist gave, and it was this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we know that they refused the kingdom and they crucified their Messiah. And so we find that now the word of God would spread out to the regions beyond Judea, that it would go to Samaria and to Galilee, and it would go to the other nations of the world. And we find, dear friends, that uh, as it did so, God called a special man, the Apostle Paul, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But we don't have apostles today because once the church was established, once it was uh, set in place all across the world of that day, 
that ministry ceased to exist. And in its place, now we have, um, the next word is prophets. Now a prophet, again, his ministry is very, very um, recognized in the Old Testament. It was a ministry of speaking about God's plan and what he would do in the future days. And we've seen many, many of those prophecies fulfilled through the scripture. And we're waiting for others to be fulfilled um, soon to come. But we understand that prophecies in that form likewise have ceased because the far better has come. I believe the, the, the uh, position that was fulfilled by prophets in the Old Testament is fulfilled by pastors in the, New, in the New Testament. And so we have that differentiation. But then it goes on to te- speak about teachers. And you know, the Bible tells us that God's people are to be able to teach, especially those who serve in uh, the uh, positions of authority in the church, deacons and elders. The Bible says they ought to be able to teach. And so this is a wonderful ministry. One of the things that I've really been pleased to see is some of our younger men stepping up to teach Sunday school classes. And that is a blessing because it gives them the opportunity to prepare themselves for leadership in the church. And so we find that all of these other things, and notice the last one is various kinds of tongues. And so we find uh, the question continues in verse 30, do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Notice that. The ones that are, stand above these. By the way, the gift of healing also uh, ceased as a special ability given by God. We do have wonderful uh, ways in which we see people healed. God has given us doctors with amazing abilities these days. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. And we have the power of prayer. And prayer changes things, doesn't it? And God heals in response to our prayers. But we don't believe in divine healers these days. And I truly believe that this is one of the gifts that has been so grossly misused and misjudged. You see, uh, oftentimes it becomes used as an opportunity for somebody to make a big name for themselves and uh, kind of deceive people into thinking that people are coming on stage and getting healed and all that. And then, of course, they profit financially well. So, all of this to say what we read at the last statement in this chapter, and I will show you a more excellent way. And this, dear friends, is our theme today. The more excellent way. And I would have you to notice that uh, the people who are uh, the recipients of this are those who have been not only gifted of God in a unique way, but also have been uh, brought to a uh, maturity in Christ in which, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is produced. And what I want you to understand as we look through this today is that the gifts of the Spirit 
are intended to be used in the power of the Spirit of God who is producing the fruit of, uh, of his uh, experience uh, in our lives. And that's crucial. If we come to chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Now notice this. As I said, all believers are gifted by the Holy Spirit. But you know what, dear friends? We are to uh, exercise our gifts using the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, the very first fruit of the Spirit is, and all of the fruits of the Spirit are given to us in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those against which there is no law. But you notice that the first of those gifts, the, those, uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit, is love. And that's a crucial thing because every one of the other gifts flow out of a heart of love. Love, first of all, for God and love for our fellow man and particularly love for the brethren. This theme is given to us throughout the scripture, isn't it? To love one another. Remember when the Pharisees came to the Lord and he said, what is the great, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus responded immediately, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And so you see, dear friends, the point that we're going to see here is the, in the administering of gifts and in the usage of them, love must be the key. Love must control the gifts as we exercise them. There is no way the gifts, regardless of what they are, can be exercised in love when they center only on me and how important I am and what things I want to, uh, to do and accomplish. Each of these statements that we have here in verse 1 tells us exactly the result of, uh, of demonstrating gifts of the Spirit without love. What does it say? Uh, if, I, uh, if I don't uh, do these in love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Let's continue to read. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am what? Nothing. I am nothing. That's God's view of it, dear friends. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I am nothing. Now, he says that twice. Now, it may not be that you feel it's nothing in the eyes of, uh, of others. They may think, wow, this person's really super because they are able to do such great things. But you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the eyes of God. If you're doing these things with the wrong motivation, dear friends, you're accomplishing nothing. And the fact of the matter is that God sees it that way too. Now, it's important for us to understand that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account, aren't we, for the way in which we have served him, how we have used the gifts that he's given us. Not only the gifts, but also the way in which we use them. Did we show love, grace, 
Did we show evidence of the Spirit of God working through us? Whenever the Holy Spirit works through us, dear friends, he does so in love because God is love. And so he says, even if I deliver up my body to be burned, which is, of course, an extreme thing, but maybe not so extreme in those days when there was persecution. But he says, if I don't do it in love, I'm nothing. Remember how that Stephen was stoned because of his commitment to the Lord Jesus. And as they were ready to throw stones at him, the Bible says his face looked like the face of an angel. And as they began to throw that stones, those stones at Stephen, he said, Behold, I see God on his throne and his son, the Lord Jesus, standing at his right hand. And with that, it says he fell asleep. Now, I don't know if the stones did that or if the Lord just took him out. But I can tell you this. There's a great reward in heaven for this man who had such tremendous love for the Lord that he was willing to give it all up to be stoned to death for the sake of Christ. And down through the years, dear friends, multitudes of of Christians, those who love the Lord, those who will not deny him, have suffered and died for the sake of Christ. Missionaries going out across the world, sometimes in very difficult places, have suffered the loss of all things, and some have died for the love of Christ. Wow, what a tremendous uh, uh, energy that that should give us to love the Lord with all our hearts and to serve him graciously, reaching out to others, not ministering for my needs, not doing things to edify me, but to edify the church of God. That's ministering in love. And so we find that, (coughs) excuse me, We find that love must control the gifts as we exercise them. Each of the statements that we've mentioned end with, I am nothing. And I think that would be the statement that we would all, we all must acknowledge. Even the Apostle Paul acknowledged that, you know, he was not anything important. He was important to God, as all of us are, but he didn't see himself that way. He recognized his weaknesses. And then he concluded, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because he learned to depend upon the Lord. And so as we begin here in verse 4, we begin to see what love truly encompasses. And I would have you to notice here that uh, we see love does not put itself ahead of another or think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Notice, love is patient, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. You see, those are the kind of things that the Corinthian church was, were involved in. They would have the attitude, well, I know more than you do. And so they would look down their noses at someone else and act as if they had all the answers and the other person was to learn from them. And they were rude. It does not insist on its own way. Wow, that's quite a one, isn't it? Love doesn't insist on its own way. I remember a church in which 
they wanted to replace the carpet. And the result was that they had an argument that nearly split the church because they couldn't agree on what color they should put down. You see, people were insisting on their own way. And that's not right. What, uh, what I've come to the conclusion is that in every church we ought to have the most bland, uh, uh, uncolorful carpet that there is so we can't argue about it. Our carpet is beautiful, by the way. And so it says, it does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. Wow, those words really ring, don't they? Irritable. Now, sometimes, you know, if I get up on, as they say, the wrong side of the bed, um, I can show some irritability. And we have to be careful about that. I do believe we need to start each day by saying, God, teach me to love. Teach me to love uh, my spouse. Teach me to love my neighbor. Teach me to love my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, teach me to love as you love. You know what? That takes away all irritability. It really does. It puts a smile on our face. So that as we come to church and we greet one another, there's no bitterness. There's no sense of anger or resentment. It's just a wonderful experience to meet with and fellowship with the people of God. And so love upholds integrity, and the integrity and value of my neighbor or my brother or my sister. Now you'll notice here he says in verse um, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now I, <clears throat> maybe some of you would look at that where it says believes all things, that it doesn't mean that you believe everything that comes along. What it means is you think the best of that other person. Someone tells you something, you believe that what they're telling you is the truth. You don't question someone else's motivation, someone else's integrity. You believe them. And this, dear friends, is another act of genuine love. Notice it says um, uh, that it endures all things. Enduring all things speaks to us of the ability to put up with one another. To accept one another's uniqueness. I was going to say peculiarities. I like uniqueness better. But to put up with one another, accept one another, and be gracious. Oh, that's, that's vital, dear friends. That's absolutely vital to the ongoing work of God in, in, the, uh, in the church of God. Now, as we move along here, I want you to notice as we come to verse 8, the progression appropriate to spiritual gifts. This is so very important, dear friend, that we see love is gifted to all believers. Notice, love never ends. Praise the Lord for that. You know, I can tell you, I was married to my dear wife for 51 years, and I can honestly say love never ends. If you are in that same situation, I'm sure you will agree that over the years, love only becomes more mature. 
it becomes more deep, becomes more evident. You know, as we grew older, we didn't find ourselves arguing with each other nearly as much. I don't know if we just started thinking alike or just what, but um, we find that that love grows and matures and becomes more precious as we go along. Love never ends. And I'll tell you what, I, I spoke last Sunday at, um, at my former church. And as I walked in, the people came and just gave me hugs and told me how much they loved me. Boy, did that make me feel good. Made me feel like I had contributed something of worth to the family of God there. And I trust that you feel that way too when you enter the church and fellowship with God's people. Love never ends. Now, it's important for us to look at the next part of this verse and consider it carefully. Remember, we're looking at these things under the idea of the lasting uh, evidence of love. And it says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. Now, the word pass away here, the two words, are actually one word in the original language. And it simply means that it will uh, be superseded by something greater and better. And that will be borne out in the next verse here. It says, as for prophecies, they will be, pass away. And then it says this interesting statement, as for tongues, they will cease. Now that's an entirely different word. It literally means come to an end. Perhaps you've heard our pastor say that our, in our church we are cessationists. Well, that's where we get the idea from. We do not believe the sign gifts or the miracle gifts are given to us today, especially this gift of tongues. Tongues was for the early church. It was for the establishment of the church. It was to show that God was starting a new work among people outside of Judaism to establish his church. And so we find that tongues no longer play a part. And it's also important to note how that tongues have come about to bring about a great deal of false understanding and false doctrine. Teaching us that one must speak in tongues in order to receive the Holy Spirit. And that there is a second work of grace that is offered to us through this Miracle of speaking in an unknown, or as they think, an angelic language. But dear friends, tongues will cease, and they have. And so those who study the word of God and consider its truths understand that this is true. This is uh, something that no longer transpires. The words, when we say sign gifts... We're speaking of those things that are an evidence to people of our, uh, of our doctrine and our faith. The Jews were always seeking after a sign, weren't they? Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees would come up to Jesus and say, what sign do you give us of all these things that you claim? Well, Jesus had only shown them probably thousands of signs he spoke the words of God. He performed miracles. He raised the dead. 
He caused the blind to see. He took away people's leprosy. He did sign after sign. In fact, the entire book of John, the word miracles is never used once. It's always the word sign. Finally, Jesus said to these scribes and Pharisees, no other sign will be given you other than the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of a whale for three days. So will the Son of Man be in the in the ground for three days and three nights. And so you see, signs are for Israel. Signs were to point out to Israel what God was doing. Now we find that as we move into the church age, that sign gift ceases, no longer valuable to us. Now, I've heard on occasion from missionaries who tell me that they go into a particular area where there is an unknown language, and God has given them a special ability to understand that language and to begin to speak it. I do not doubt somebody's experience. I do not question what God is able to do in a peculiar, unique experience. But I will say that as far as the church of God is concerned, this, these things have been eliminated. They're no longer active. Now we'll notice again, <coughs> excuse me, as we come down to the last statement in this verse, uh, as for knowledge, it will pass away. Now again, we have the same phrase used with prophecy and knowledge. Both, it says, will pass away. And it will pass away in the light of new knowledge and understanding, which we call our doctrine, the truths that we believe. They find their fulfillment in the accomplishment of the word of God. And so you see here what he continues to say, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, I want you to notice here the passing nature of the gifts as well as the partial being surpassed by the perfected. It's important for us to grasp this truth that the word of God uh, completes everything that God has to say to us. From Genesis to Revelation, the Lord Jesus is revealed in all of his personality in all of his power, he is the very essence of who God is in human flesh. He is the God-man. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You see, he came from heaven's glory <clears throat> to live among men, and he took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of human flesh. He did so for the sake of dying on the cross. But we discover from the word of God that Jesus is made a man forever. The God-man. And so one day he's going to come for us. And he will come and he will be visible as the God-man. Someone has said everything we know about God is what we see in the Lord Jesus. He has presented God to us. What a wonderful truth. And that truth was brought out and made real 
as the word of God was completed. Now you'll notice here that verse 9 tells us that the perfect will come, and that which is in part will be done away. And of course, that only stands to reason. The partial replaced by the complete. Now, the word perfect there sometimes has been misunderstood. In Scripture, oftentimes the word perfect has to do with maturity, coming to that point where the uh, complete or the perfect uh, or the mature thing is done. You see, in our lives, God says that we are to be perfect, and he means by that mature, grown up. Now, he's going to follow that up as he comes to uh, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. So I would have you to notice that he's speaking to this immature, childish uh, group of people. They were not showing love. They were not demonstrating the grace of God in their lives. They were acting like uh, impertinent little children. And so we find that he's telling the Corinthian believers, God's done a wonderful thing. He's given you his word. He's given you everything that you need to know from now until he takes you home to glory. And we need to be looking not at <clears throat> inward about ourselves and what we can do, and what we can accomplish, and what evidences we can show so that we are superior in some way, but rather to take the gifts that God has given us and pour them out upon God's people for the glory of God and the benefit of his church. Oh, dear friends, what an important message that is. Now, I want you to see, he says, as we continue on, <clears throat> now, we're grown up. We're no longer children. But he see, says, even the Apostle Paul is speaking here of himself. Now we see in a mirror darkly. It's important for us to understand. They didn't have clear mirrors like we have today. They might have a polished piece of metal or something that they could look in and sort of get an idea of how to comb their hair or whatever. We have nice mirrors that give a clear reflection, don't we? And so when Paul wrote this, he says, we can just understand dimly what God has given to us. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, and even though we have the completed word of God, we still only see things partially and dimly. A good example of this was when the Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples. On a number of occasions, he would present the truth to them, and it would say that his disciples did not understand. But then, as we come to the book of Acts, we read about the apostles saying, when they looked back, then they remembered what Jesus had said. And the Spirit of God began to teach them and to give them understanding exactly as the Lord Jesus had said. For he said before he went back to heaven, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak concerning himself, but he will speak concerning me. And he will show you things to come. See, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said in another place, the Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. And so, dear friends, you are the instrumentality through which the Holy Spirit gives his message. And he does it in love. I cannot tell you how many times in the word of God we read about the love of the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world, right? Love. He is a God of love. And so we find he's telling us, dear friends, we need to exercise the gifts in a loving, careful way. This progression through all of the gifts points, to, uh, uh, us, uh, points up to us that we are to serve God, looking to him for wisdom and direction, to seek the higher gifts, to keep moving onward and upward and looking to the day when Jesus comes for us and we see him face to face and we will be known, we will know even as we are known. But dear friends, until that day, God has given us his word. We know everything he wants us to know as we study his word. And so it is vital that we understand God cares for us enough to show himself to us in so many ways. Why? Because he loves us. Dear friends, God's gifted you. Have you decided, have you determined what your gifts are? Have you been using them for his glory? And have you been loving one another in so doing? Loving the lost, reaching out to them with a message of God's love for them and salvation through the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to witness, but you know what? Love overcomes that. When you see that person struggling with the, with the sin and the vileness and the corruption in which they've uh, uh, descended, to reach out to that one in love and bring them to that place of understanding so that they turn to Christ. That's love. Oh, dear friends, let us move forward in the love of God, allowing him to use us as we present his word, as we live his word, as we teach his word, as we grow in grace and the knowledge of him. And so we see faith, trusting in his loving grace toward us. Hope, that's verse 13, by the way. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. Faith is, of course, trusting God and his loving grace toward us. Hope, not that we just think something might happen and we're hoping it does. That word hope really means confidence. That we have what we call the blessed hope of the redeemed, the soon coming of Christ. So hope means confidence. Going forth with boldness, assurance, and confidence. And love. Love is the greatest of all. It is the more excellent way. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts, Lord. May we be God's people, loving one another, caring about each other's needs, 
praying for one another, burdened for those things that you have touched our hearts with to accomplish for you. Thank you for your word today, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks.